one is that they ensure efficiency and uh, sustainable land use and environment. Okay, it is when people have assurance that they can hold their land rights for long periods of time that they embark on permanent improvements on the land. If they are not sure they can hold the land for long, chances are they will hesitate to invest too much capital for fear that they might be deprived of that land within a short period that doesn't give them opportunity to recover their capital in full. Now, such can arise if government evicts them, or on the other hand, if a private claimant comes up and shows evidence of superior title. So land rights are critical. But so far we've been talking about land rights as if they are just poor poor. There are different categories of land rights and they offer different advantages in different manners. Okay, so I want us to really understand that land rights are critical because one, they encourage efficient and productive development of cities. Two, they encourage efficiency in investment. Three, they encourage economic productivity because of the things we've been saying so far. An example is the fact that if you have a secured land right, you have confidence to walk to a bank and ask for a loan. The bank has confidence to loan you the money because they know that your right is for a long period and uh, should you default, there's enough left in the interest to enable them you to recover their capital lent to you. Not only that, when you have secured land rights, you can ensure optimal land uses. Okay? Um, people tend to look for what they can afford that falls within the area of, um, what do I call it now, the highest and best use. And for as long as your land rights is durable, is reliable, is enforceable, even if you don't have enough capital now, you can always keep on striving to ensure that you achieve highest and best use eventually. So optimality under, you know, underlies the idea of highest and best use. You are trying to ensure that you put your land to such a use that can give you optimal benefits, both in terms of pecuniary uh, benefits and in terms of the rights of occupancy, the rights of uh, getting, you know, rental income and things like that. Okay. The other thing I didn't quite emphasize, which I will talk about now, is that when you have secured land rights and the rights you own are easy to enforce and give confidence for investment, it is a very good way to ensure that land markets also work efficiently. Um, if you study the regular publication on uh, ease of doing business, it's, it's, a, it's a regular publication from the British uh, government, the DFID, the British Council, they, they engage in carrying out surveys of different parts of the world, particularly the developing world assess how easy it is to do business in those countries and in those cities. Why do they do that? They do it as a guide for international investors who may wish to come and invest capital in those developing countries and cities. And it always stands some very accurate description 
of the constraints that people may uh, face when they are trying to establish uh, an enterprise, when they are trying to carry out a business deal or the other within those cities or countries. So in the uh, report, they usually update how they have assessed each place and uh, they will tell you percentage improvement in ease of doing business in terms of land accessibility, in terms of access to capital, in terms of employability of the people, in terms of the kind of skills that people have to offer, in terms of technological inputs and so on and so forth. Why am I mentioning this document? It's because it has to do with this market aspect. Okay? The ease of doing business reports usually assesses the land market. How efficient is it? How matured is it? To what extent can you find reliable services in the land market? To what extent does government support transactions in the land market? And how easy is it to transact business on uh, land titles in the land market? These are key elements of the assessments they carry out under that ease of doing business report. Consistently, uh, that report has flagged up the land market in Nigeria as being inefficient. Of course, land markets are inefficient, but then, relatively speaking, the land market in Nigeria is filled with all kinds of constraints that make investments difficult for foreign as well as local investors in terms of difficulty of, of proving your title to land and the fact that majority of land holdings do not have any legal backing. So when we say that secured land rights have to do with making land markets more efficient, you can now understand where I'm going. It is because when you have a, a reliable land records, when you have secured land rights that are properly registered with government, you are able to improve information flow in the land market. You are able to improve confidence amongst investors that the capital they are investing in purchasing land, in leasing land, in developing land will not be wasted. And that whatever the products of their investment is, uh, that they can be transferred without any difficulty. So this issue is extremely important and it's one of the things that makes for improved economy. It's one of the things that makes for invitation of foreign investors. It's one of the things that makes for expansion of productivity basis in a country or in a city. What do we mean by that? Every form of economic activity requires land to one extent or other. Okay? You need land in order to build your office space, in order to provide your factory space, in order to provide your uh, warehouse space. Uh, you need land for transportation means to move your goods, your finished goods to and from the marketplace. You need land for so many things. And uh, where, where you cannot easily have access to secure titles to land, definitely to hinder the freedom with which you can engage in business activities within the country. So it's, it's, a, it's a very important element which has underlying implications economic productivity and also for wealth generation. It has a way of uh, encouraging investors to invest a lot of capital when they find that land is easy to get, land is easy to hold, 
land is easy to transfer, whether in its uh, undeveloped form or in its developed form. Then another thing I need to also stress a little bit more is that when you have secured land rights, it's easier for you to generate employment. How come? You can establish businesses. Your land can be your means of getting a loan from a bank. The loan can help you establish your business. When you establish your business, definitely you employ people. Not just that. When you have secured land rights, you are encouraged to engage in property investment. You can develop property. And for as long as there's demand for development of new properties, you are generating employment for people in the construction industry. You are generating employment for the artisan. You are generating employment for the professional, the quantity surveyor, the engineer, also the estate surveyor, the lawyer. You are, you are making the economy go round. And like I used to tell my various classes in the past, uh, it, 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 it's some, one thing that you should really understand well because when there was economic depression in the USA years back, one of the things that they did uh, under Keynesian economics was to encourage pumping of money into the construction sector in the belief that as you push money into construction and produce houses and people rent or build houses, they will require furniture, they will require uh, plastic goods, they require different things that will make the industries, now that demand is being generated, make them come back alive. And indeed, very interestingly, uh, that policy worked wonderfully because the economy was able to recover faster than would have been the case otherwise. Okay, so let's uh, move on to now look at uh, the, 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 the fact that insecure land tenure does a lot of damage to the economy socially and uh, generally. One is that uh, if you do not have secured land rights and you do not have the institutions that helps to establish them, you will be causing a lot of difficulty. Number one is that you will be discouraging investors from being able to collateralize their land. They will not be able to get, I mean, use the land interests as collateral for getting loans from banks. Banks generally are very wary of risky engagements. And once they perceive that the property you wish to use as collateral does not have title, they are going to deny you of that loan. And for as long as people get denied of their loans, of their loan requirements, uh, their ability to use capital to expand business, to establish business, will be seriously hampered. So we need to understand that and see the implications very well. In fact, a document said that uh, only 3% of land in Africa has ever been used for raising wood uh, for different kinds of purposes. So that means that uh, the, the extent to which capital is being pumped into land investments in Africa is extremely low when you compare with developed countries like USA, where there's a very high level of leverage on uh, real estate interests. Okay. Another danger of insecure land rights is that 
they are going to cause a lot of conflict over ownership or possession of land. As long as people cannot uh, enforce their rights or defend their rights, you will be opening the door for land grabbers like we currently have in Nigeria. Land grabbers, um, Omonile problem, and so on, uh, which will be causing delays in the capacity to transform vacant land into usable space. Okay? These are critical elements that governments have been trying to resolve for a long time and are still having problems grappling with. Okay? And this is one of the reasons why uh, Hernande de Soto in 2000, the year 2000, wrote his book titled The Mystery of Capital. He was trying to understand why developed countries seem to do so well in terms of the quality of their urban environments and also in terms of the economic productivity, in terms of wealth generation and so on. And uh, comparing these developed countries with the developing countries, including his own, who was from Peru, uh, mm. he, he saw that one of the missing ingredients is reliable mm. title to land that enables people to undertake investments without hassles. So he brought forth his hypothesis. It's called a hypothesis because uh, he, he was just conjecturing based on his personal observations without necessarily carrying out extensive empirical uh, surveys of you know, various places he was referring to. Uh, in the Soto's uh, mind, the economies of developing countries are underperforming because secured land rights are not available to majority of the population. The second concern that he so much articulated was that the urban environments are looking so ugly uh, with the spontaneous settlements, squatter settlements, slums, and uh, you know, unimproved, decayed centers because land rights were not secured. His view was that for as long as land rights are not uh, written on paper, they are not documented, they are not recorded in government uh, offices, government does not recognize them, and so the owners or the holders of those land rights lack incentive to do what is necessary. The physical environments of our urban areas, of our cities, would remain as ugly and as bad as they were at that time. Indeed, his views were found to be extremely uh, resonant of what happens in a lot of cities across the developed world. Uh, so many people uh, who are intellectuals on this subject matter, who are researchers on this subject matter, you know, latched on to his views, particularly his uh, recommendation that there should be large-scale uh, tightening of land rights in cities of developing countries to encourage better investment, to encourage better environment, and to sort of improve the economy generally. Uh, in the past, we used to insist that our students should go find that book, read it, and summarize it as part of their learning process. Uh, I won't be surprised if Professor Nubi has referred you to that book already, and if he has asked you to do an assignment along that line. 
if even if he hasn't, even if nobody is insisting that you should do so now, it is worth your while. We look for that material. It's a small book like that titled The Mystery of Capital by Fernande de Soto. Okay. Uh published by uh, I think he's sorry. Professor Nubi has given us the excellent, very good. Very good. So you must have read it and you understand it very well. The social ideas are very, very important. Although they have not been found to be successful everywhere, but they have made a lot of difference in several countries. For instance, in Thailand, the adoption of the social ideas boosted housing construction, boosted confidence in land transactions, boosted land market transactions. Even in Lima, Lima is the capital of Peru, where De Soto comes from, there was 60% boost in housing production. And land transactions also went up. Land values went up. In Africa here, countries that have adopted De Soto's ideas have witnessed a lot of improvement, Uganda, Kenya, and so on. And in Nigeria here, we have evidence that you know, titling is making a big difference. And that is why a lot of international agencies are assisting our governments in Nigeria to pursue land titling as a major policy approach, a major government approach to making land markets more efficient. So um, it will be worth your while, not just to treat it as one of those assignments, but to really study it and understand it. Now I said that Success has not been everywhere. There have been countries in which the uh, land titling has not had as much impact as expected. The reasons are varied. In some instances, it's because the, the nature of the way they deal with land development and land transactions does not necessarily require you to have paper title for you to make any major difference. And then the other thing is that if capital is still lacking, if people still lack the money and they cannot get loans, chances are after you have given the uh, documentary title to the land, they will sell the land and then, you know, uh, to, to get capital to do what they need. Do you understand? And when they sell the land or they reduce their portion by you know, a, a greater uh, measure, then their capacity to efficiently use the land for the full-scale benefits is grossly reduced. So there have been instances where titling has given rise to poor people selling their land and then going to start new spotter settlements elsewhere, going to start new uh, 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 suboptimal and poorly uh, uh, planned uh, settlements elsewhere. So there have been various kinds of uh, responses to these ideas. But for it to keep resonating year after year across international borders is to make you know that the, the success is far outweighing the failures and that till now land titling is a major policy thrust of a lot of international agencies interested in proper urban development and particularly in the area of housing okay so let's move on i find that uh, when you don't have secured land rights, you will have full conflicts over land, you will have a lot of uh, problems of delayed development, 
you have problems of the housing deficit like we're experiencing in Nigeria, and then worse still, you have problems of uh, 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 you know, sprawl. Sprawl is a critical issue because it makes for inappropriate expansion of cities and it makes servicing, you know, installation of infrastructure very expensive and very difficult. You know, there's what we call leapfrog development where you will find that in a city, people will jump over an area and go and start developing like very, 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 or they will leave large expanse of area because of the constraints they experience there and go and uh, open a fresh area in a remote location and go and build something there. So now linking them together requires roads. When you have to put roads over long distances where people are sparsely distributed, it is it's more expensive per capita. And then the fact that they are scattered here and there makes more difficulty in collecting revenue by way of taxes to be able to finance all those uh, provision of amenities, provision of the schools, uh, health facilities, and so on and so forth. So it's not the best at all. And these are things that are with us all the time. We observe, we see, and we need to be able to speak to them if we are going to raise up our heads and say that we have obtained a master's degree in estate management and we have done land economy. So we find that uh, the problems of insecure Kenya are much, much more than uh, we normally imagine. And so there's need for governments to interfere in the affairs of land issues and to set up uh, systems whereby some of these constraints can be mitigated and some of these problems can be avoided. Okay? so. When it comes to titling, we need to look at the various kinds of land rights that can be so created. The material I've asked the class governor to distribute gives insight into various classes of land rights that can be provided as a way of improving security of tenure. But you see, security of tenure, like we said last week, has elements of durability, enforceability, marketability, certainty, and what else again? Legality and all those things. Legality and enforceability go hand in hand. When your title is legal, it makes it possible for you to enforce it in the government's court system or two other means that might be available. When your rights are recognized and registered by government, makes it easier for you to enforce that rights against anybody who may want to make a counter claim. And when you have these things that we just mentioned, it makes your property more marketable. You can sell it. People who want to buy have more confidence that they are not buying a court case. They are not buying a problem. They are not buying something that will drain away their hard-earned money. So we want to look at what are the various kinds of rights that exist and what are the various kinds of rights that governments usually introduce by way of intervention to help to increase uh, security. First, let's start with the one that is very, very common in our environment. We have customary land rights. Customary land rights are traditional land rights. 
be obtained either by inheritance or by gift or by simply being part of a large family that owns land in the village. Usually, we talk of customary land rights when we consider our rural areas. And uh, we must not lose sight of the fact that even in our urban areas, customary land rights are still very, very observable. They still exist, which is why in southwestern Nigeria, you still have a lot of problems with money they call themselves of the living, that's the children of those who own the land. And this is something that comes from the customary idea of land being owned by families. Say the family owns a portion of land. Every member of that family, as a group owned, especially the female members, traditionally are entitled to a portion. Okay? And the, the, the part, I mean the part that they are entitled to a portion was something that was understood and taken for granted in the past uh, until when during the colonial uh, days it necessary for government to start developing uh, environments, putting roads, things like that. Then they had to start looking for ways of ensuring that these traditional land rights become amenable to modern needs in the urban environment. In those days, Traditional land rights were not often sold. The tradition was that you cannot sell your heritage. The belief is that that land belonged not just to those who are alive today, but to those who have died, the ancestors, and to those who are yet to be born, the children that you and your children's children and children's children coming in the future will have. So they felt that it would not be appropriate to be uh, wrong to sell such property. Uh, as time has gone over these uh, notions, and we find that land has become uh, less sacred in the perception of people. Land has become commodified, and people now buy and sell land, and those traditional ideas have been you know, gradually eroded. Now, now, let's look at the uh, urban area and this issue of customary land rights. In the urban areas, People are here. Let me just use Lagos for example. That the traditional land owning families in Lagos still believe that they have a right to the land that was handed to them traditionally by their ancestors. So, uh, a lot of family, the, uh, all these various families that originally owned land in Nigeria and Lagos, they are still having the notion that their traditional areas belong to them. Uh, you don't need to look too far to remember cases that have been caught, uh, coming to court recently on these areas, on these issues. The Uniru chieftaincy family, uh, most of us who are based in Lagos here, must have been very alert about what is going on at this Lagoshi family, and so on and so forth. They are, these are popular, well known families who own land in very valuable areas. Originally, the a lot of families from and so on and so forth. Many of those families have since disposed of their land, but a lot of them still believe that their traditional rights are still sacred and that they can still make claims over them. Now, how does this have to do with what we've been discussing about security or security? The, the emphasis I want to make to 
is that it makes us to have issues on that matters in places like Lagos. Um, let me draw a, a, a difference between rights that are recognized by law and rights that are recognized by custom and tradition. Uh, technically, in my previous research, I classified them as land that is owned de facto. That means according to fact, based on documentary evidence. And then land that is owned, uh, not, uh, sorry, uh, land that is owned based on documentary evidence and land that is owned in fact as a matter of physical possession. Do you understand? Even though there's no paper to have So when you have uh, land that is owned in reality and land that is owned on paper, you can begin to see that sometimes the two don't always go together. Now, traditional land rights are de facto rights. They don't have documents, but they are, they are there. They are understood. They, are, they have legitimacy because generally people in that locality understand that oh, this land belongs to land. So even though there is no record in government of Now, such rights, I call them the factor. I'm not the first to come up with that dichotomy of the factor and the, the other side. But I want you to understand that the factor simply means that whether documented or not, the right exists. Well, the other one, which is the jury, according to law, is because there's documentary evidence. Now, statutory rights in that are the jury. They have documents backing them up, documents issued by government, documents registered by them. De facto, no documents, but they are existing in reality. Where the controversy usually comes in is when people own land de facto, our government is insisting that they must have the jury status before they can enjoy one benefit or the other. Okay, now that is is a problem in the sense that the the, the, the person who owns land de facto thinks and understands and perceives his ownership as being you know, okay and he feels that he does not need documents, which is why majority of negotiations, the real people who own land in Vegas don't have titles, they believe it's my land. Everybody knows it's my land. Now, why should I bother to get anything to the uh, paper document? And then to get the paper documents is so expensive, the process is so long, it's so cumbersome. So they feel maybe it's not necessary to go that in, in, in that direction. But let us look at it this way for the sake of our discussion. This jury status offers you full scale security offers the capacity to enforce your right and also makes it very marketing. On the other hand, the fact of status, as is very common with informal land rights, with customary land rights, they offer you some degree of uh, security as if it's within the locality where your rights is understood. But it does not often give you opportunity to enforce because it's not written, it's not recognized in the court of law. And then its marketability is limited by that fact, which is the reason why properties or land that have, uh, what do you call it, a land title that have sale usually fetch more money when you offer them to sale. 
those that do not so let us not overlabel that issue i just want you to understand that the various kinds of land rights are being offered different degrees of security based on those elements of durability so when it comes to customary land rights, we like to classify them as informal. They are informal because they don't have recognition at all, they don't have legal documents, and therefore they are harder to impose. But that does not mean they are illegal. I would have you understand that informality and illegality are not necessarily the same. Okay? Illegality means there's something that is wrong in the sense that maybe you have acquired the land by stealth or by grabbing another person's hand or by cheating, one or the other. Anything illegal connotes that you have done something against the law. Now, informal may not necessarily be against the law because you may have inherited the land according to custom and tradition. They have transferred it according to what is obtaining generally. Okay? But it does not necessarily mean that you are illegal. But because sometimes it's hard to draw that line. Because some people interpret lack of title, lack of CO to mean your mood is illegal. It's not necessarily correct. I would have you look at materials written by uh, um, Robert today is a lawyer, he writes copious in the sea of matters. You can always browse and find his materials online. Uh, look at you know, this issue of you know, informality, informality, legality, legality. Also, look at materials. Yes, please. Yeah, no. Maybe the network is poor over there. We can add when the point is breaking. And uh, oh. what shall we do now? Can you? Uh, I move my phone closer. Can you hear me better? Oh, is it? Yeah, we can hear you better, but maybe you can. Maybe you can. it's a network problem. Okay. Um. Yeah. Very funny to shift this. I don't. The network will still be the same. There I am.
as to the nature of the rights they have, uh, you cannot really classify that as being as secured as we would like to have. So that kind of recognition may be such that when government now needs to land, they eventually still come there and ask them to vacate and evict them, okay, which therefore does not give full assurance of security. Another type of titling or another kind of land rights that can be is uh, communal rights. Now, normally we talk about communal rights in rural areas when government simply, uh, sorry, not government, where a whole community can hold land as their you know, uh, village land, as a communal community owned area where they can farm, they can establish market, they can establish one thing with the other. Okay, something still persists till today in many of my rural areas. But what I'm trying to talk about is when you give uh, that scale title to a whole community okay, so that you have a, a kind of universal title for an entire community. The title is not to the individual but to the community. And for as long as the community recognizes a particular part or a particular part of the such rights offer a, a, a certain degree of security of the fact is that such rights offer you some degree of security because it means government now recognizes your uh, occupancy of that position. But how legally enforceable is that right? It depends very much on the extent to which you can indicate your own personal person in that universal person. Um, of course, those of you who are very uh, conversant with land transactions in the, some parts of Naples, you are aware that uh, there are instances where the, uh, the, the universal title for an entire patient and then there is the uh, body qualified survey plan the various books under that universal title, and then uh, the, the, the title lies not in the individual but in the collective. Okay, so if you now want to transact on your own parcel, uh, you have to go through some legal processes of you know, carrying out your part, doing the survey, the and embarking on the procedure for which, of course, you pay money and uh, the Universal title can be attached as evidence that yes, indeed, you have the right to be on that land and you are now transpiring. Okay, so when we are trying to uh, intervene to bring tightly in order that people may have security in their land that they occupy in other areas, uh, one has to be careful to look at what are the implications. If you do it this way, what will be the martial implication? What will be the for development, what would be the implication for the opportunities for that person to raise loan for this or to develop it into a house or to transfer it when they sign From your vantage point, as somebody who is uh, going to be an expert in these areas, you must have your understanding, project enough to be able to do all these 
mechanisms that affect how security can cover any of these dimensions that we have mentioned. So let me now talk about these various types of rights. When you do, uh, when you grant, what did I call it just now, universal title, which is equivalent to large-scale uh, uh, formalization, is a good thing. But like I said, it offers security, it encourages a degree of investment, it can boost investment, it can also uh, give you some degree of responsibility from the uh, general perspective, but transferability is hampered by the fact that you have to undergo additional processes. Also, your capacity to enforce your rights as a person means you have carried out so many other excess issues that need to be further clarified. Let's talk about another category of rights that are all these things are available in the document and I please employ you to read them because practical experiences are put in various parts of the world where these things have been tried and found to succeed. Okay. The um, a class of rights known as intermediate rights can also be given. In this instance, you can give uh, occupancy rights to those who are occupying the land. Uh, the occupancy rights can have a duration such a way that uh, they know they are there uh, for that duration and uh, their, their occupancy is, is, is recognized and so they can engage in physical development, they can do a lot of things that ordinarily they may not have been encouraged to do. However, as paper rightly points out, uh, this type of land rights can also be difficult to handle in the sense that you still don't have full assurance of the rights to transfer, okay? And sometimes, when you have uh, this intermediate land rights, even though it encourages you to build, to occupy, and so on and so forth, they are subject to, uh, you know, procedures that require you to get permission from government agencies before you can do anything beyond that, which means that there might be bureaucratic uh, constraints to overcome if you want to carry out any other I started by talking about the free group and I mentioned that the free group interest offers you the widest level of the of rights that you can exercise. Let's now talk about this whole system. This whole system, I want us to talk about it because the land use act is that uh, the kind of rights you can now put apart from deemed rights which are like carry over from before 1978 are statutory rights of occupancy and customary rights of occupancy. Now statutory and customary rights of occupancy are like leasehold interest because they have a fixed period. Uh, in some states 19 years, in some states 99 years depends on whether uh, I mean the purpose is and the policy that that state government is enforcing. But the point that we are making is that a statutory rights of occupancy, a customary rights of occupancy that the land use and has a fixed duration. Now 
fixed duration of 90 years is not bad. 99 years is not bad. It's beyond a person's lifetime, isn't it? And that period can enable you to embark on investments that you can recover your capital before you do anything else uh, with your money. But we must understand where leases are coming from. These old interests are wasting assets. That means an interest that has a, a, a terminal, a, it has a time when it will come to an end. When it comes to an end, uh, if there's an underlying permission for you to renew, already uh, you know subsumed in the land rights when it was granted originally, fine. Sorry, there's some noise there, there's some campaigning going on. But I want you to understand what they mean, that these whole interests will eventually terminate. And that's what makes it a wasting asset. And whatever improvement is put on the property goes with the land to the original owner at this time. Okay? That's the nature of the leasehold interest. The second thing about these whole interests is that they are often subject to conditions. There are not conditions that bind the landlord, there are conditions that bind the leasehold. These conditions uh, limit your freedom to do things with the land, but does not necessarily stop you from investing, especially if it's a done lease. Of different types like occupational leases, residential leases, commercial leases, agricultural leases. You know, there are so many types of leases. You can differentiate according to the type of use. You can differentiate according to the duration. You can differentiate according to the conditions attached. You can differentiate according to uh, the level of freedom that the investee has, or the level of uh, restriction. But the, it's a common uh, um, characteristic of leases that they have conditions attached to them. Let's now look at the advantages of the leasehold system as a system. Because what we have under the land use act is tantamount to a leasehold. Let's look at the advantages of the advantages are quite many. One is that it enables uh, exclusive use and occupation and possession of land for a specific period of time. So the person who gets a leasehold, even though it does not own the land, has access to it for a period, can do a lot of things with it, except that he cannot say it, he can't transfer it. Then the other advantage is that it enables the owner to enjoy some pecuniary benefits from his rights, even though he is not the one using it at that point in time. What I mean is that if you are the owner of land and you don't have capital to build it yourself, and you are in another state, therefore you cannot apply it, you can give it to a lessee. This holder will be using it with your permission and paying you for that permission. So though your land is not uh, under your occupation, it's not where you can physically exert your possession, if you are earning income from it. So that's a big benefit to the owner. Okay, so you can make monetary gains from it 
even though he's not occupying it, even though another person is holding it in possession. Another advantage is that it enables you to enjoy the physical improvements that the blessing puts on the land eventually. What do we mean by that? If the lease is for a long period and it's a building lease, for instance, the person that is the blessing that builds on the land knows he can hold that a period long enough for him to put his capital. But when his lease expires, he cannot carry the land and the house is with the land. He has to leave it to the land. So the landlord or the person that owns the property that owns the land gets a reversion, including the physical improvement on top of the land. So it's a benefit, a big benefit for the freeholder or the ownership or the owner of the land then in, in some countries, in some countries, if you are a lease holder, the rent you pay to your to your superior rights holder is tax deductible. That happens in some countries. Not every country allows that. Where you can enjoy tax benefits in both Government give that concession as a way of encouraging investments, as a way of encouraging people to engage in economic activity. Even if you don't own land, you can still borrow land, this land, and you may establish a business. Your business will generate employment. And so, in return for that, government gives you some tax concession. So, this is another benefit of the system. Uh, another benefit of this whole system is that for the lessee, only that he could have uh, had to spend buying land at a very high cost, he can now come to the business he wants to establish. I keep mentioning business. That is because uh, I'm talking about business in its widest form. It could be a business in a rural area, like uh, an agricultural business. I mean, uh, a business in an urban area. Do we understand? But what I'm trying to say is that the cost of purchasing land can be very high. But if you lease land and you're only paying on annual basis a rent for using the land, your capital, which you are not now using to buy land, can be used to prosecuting your investment. How do you understand? Okay, so I do believe. And another benefit is that. The landlord also can transfer his underlying interest without necessarily paying capital gains tax. He transfers a receipt. So technically, the land is still under his possession and owner. He pays his own land. So he's creating a lease. He has not sold, so he's not having to pay capital gains tax. Okay. So it's a way of transferring your land. To another person without paying capital gains. There are so many things. Then another thing is that the, the, the landlord can control the lessee's use of the land so as to protect his own interest on the long run. You can put restrictions or you cannot uh, alter or you cannot uh, build anything beyond so many stories or you cannot do this. You can put limitations on the lessee. So that he, can, he does not use the, the land in such a way that will harm 
your own eventual capacity and joyful benefit in the now there are different types of places that I will say share. Okay. There's the one in America, I think the triple net piece. Uh, your own uh, environment, uh, we call it the pool repairing and insurance. The, the physical elements, the, the uh, characteristic is that the net piece pays all statutory charges. He also engages in Managing the land, it ensures it, it engages in each uh, 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 Sorry, it ensures we can develop it. it. You know, more or less assumes all the risks, including those that normally would have been carried by the land. Okay. And for doing that, he usually negotiates for a lower rent to be paid to the superior uh, land owner. But this kind of arrangement is also beneficial for the landlord in that he is free from those uh, costs during this, uh, doing that, the lessee does all that. Although there is also, also that danger that the lessee, they now exercise that freedom to an extreme that uh, eventually limits the capacity of the, of the uh, right holder to make use of the property at the expiry of the of things that are permanent nature that require to be removed or whatever. It depends. But then it behoves on the landlord to make sure that he puts enough restrictions that prevent the lessee from doing things to the street. Now the the pool repairing and insuring is a very good idea and it's a very good way of ensuring that uh, you get the you know the, the lessee carries the burdens that normally a free holder would have carried. Okay. Now, the leasehold system, when it comes to urban infrastructure provision, uh, can provide a lot of potential for revenue generation. Because the government, uh, especially where government is the one that issues out the leases, can charge not just the ground rent, like Nigeria now, the holders of rights of occupancy pay their ground rents, they pay development charges, they pay different kinds of levies, and all these levies can amount to revenue that government can now push into provision for amenities and infrastructure and into the maintenance of such infrastructure. So there are benefits for government, there are benefits for the private sector. There are benefits for the seeds, there are benefits for the, the source. So this whole system is a very good system for ensuring that land rights are better distributed and that land rights yield all these optimal benefits for the whole that are concerned. I would like us to take of the fact that uh, a, just for you to know that some things are happening in other parts of the world which you may need to study them in order to understand them very well. Okay? There is uh, a paper I would like to refer you to. Please write this down so that you can deploy it and read it on your own data just to broaden your understanding. Okay? The title of the paper is Brown Drained Reform. Brown Drained Reform Shaking the foundation 
of the Disney system. that land rights 
are enabled to give the right uh, environment for investors to be able to invest in business. Having said all that, I will ask you a few questions for you to ponder over at your own time. Number one, if our system of land holdings the best for urban development in Nigeria, our system of land holding, of course, is the one that is subsumed in the land use act, which is still the only major law guiding land issues in Nigeria. Is it the best for urban development? Is it the best for infrastructure development as well as for private investment? To ponder that the top of the discussion. I've gone about halfway of what I intended to discuss with us today. And if you have questions, like last time I said, if you have questions, you can post it to the platform so that I could know them and deal with them. But I didn't receive anything from the classroom. So I take it that there were no questions on what we did before. If you have questions on today's, please feel free to post it so that we can address them before we leave the class today. So we have talked about interventions on land rights. You can grant a, what did you call it, um, universal titles. You can grant uh, tacit recognition. Uh, you can grant uh, uh, free goals. You can grant these goals. You can grant uh, intermediate interests that are only for the limited number of years of based on limited conditions and these ones have been found to have you know, various degrees of success in various countries. Now I would like us to look at other supporting forms of intervention which will boost um, the uh, system of urban development even beyond the issue of land rights. system of land rights recognition and documentation. Uh, from 90s now, there have been a lot of talk about governments introducing uh, geographical information systems to improve land administration in their states. And in various states of the Federation, GIS has been introduced to different levels of sophistication. Uh, in Niger State, I think I mentioned some time ago, maybe not in this class, maybe in the other class in housing development. In, in Niger State, they have the uh, Niger State uh, GIS uh, system that is pushing land administration very, very well in uh, issuance of certificates of occupancy, uh, documentation of land rights. Um, uh, production of cadastral surveys of whole neighborhoods and so on. It's really, you know, making a big difference to the way land is administered in Niger State. You can, for you to have more insights, look at papers written by uh, Professor Nugu M.B. on this uh, matter in Niger State. Also, beyond Niger State, <coughs> 
transactions can take place with more assurance with, uh, of security than before. So it improved market efficiency. The benefits are many. So, and I need you to really know that another way of intervention is to shore up the land administration system through technological infusion, examples of which I have given in Niger State and in Cookie State. Lagos State 
impact on the electronic data management system application a long time ago. But to, to till this time, as I'm speaking, although they have gone a long way in um, infusing GIS technology also, they have not yet been able to cover all of Lagos. You know how large Lagos And then it's like I said, the process is not as fast as it should be. And, you know, but it's still ongoing. And hopefully uh, it will be accomplished sooner than later. Okay. So the, the, the best forms of intervention are one, governments infusing technology to empower the land administration system issue and register land rights on a large scale. You can put all I have said within the last few minutes together under that one umbrella. Okay? Infusing technological advancement into the system to improve land administration and thereby facilitate issuance of land rights on a large scale. For as long as we use the manual system and we say people should bring their papers, they should bring their claims so that they can be registered, and then we impose costs for doing so, people will not come, they will not show. And until there's public enlightenment to encourage people to disabuse their minds from the fear that once they are documented, they will become so taxable that they will not be able to control their income anymore. Uh, unless we disabuse people's minds from such notions, they will not come forward. So government has to be very sensitive in doing what we are talking about now to ensure that that land rights are better make progress with their work. Okay. So I've mentioned adjudication. I've mentioned. Uh, you know, uh, technological infusion, I've mentioned large scale um, uh, titling, uh, registration of land titles, insurance of land titles. I've also mentioned land administration. I would like to add these other two. One, forward planning. It is something we lack to a large extent in Nigerian cities. Many of our cities, what we find is evidence of planning after the fact. We, we begin to carry out uh, what you can call strong uh, improvement. Uh, you know, we start to try to improve water settlements, improve, you know, after the, the developments have already gone out of hand. And that is why uh, it becomes more expensive in terms of costs more expensive in terms of the human cost element what is that human cost element i'm not talking about people dying i'm talking about the cost of displacement the cost of evictions the cost of making people move from where they have already established a, a livelihood to another neighborhood where they don't where they have to start from scratch all over again so we can avoid some of those human costs by ensuring that there's proper forward planning. That means there has to be proper uh, documentation, proper surveying of undeveloped land, vacant land. There has to be proper process in place for government 
to you know take possession i know this is not as easy as we thought it would be under the land use act nevertheless it is something that can be done with proper approach okay um, government can take over either through compulsory acquisition or revocation of land rights okay and then uh, plan those areas ahead determine where settlements will be, determine, you know, the layouts, the parcels, the allocation process, and then ensure that people are given documents as well as proper recognition and registration as they get allocations of land in such areas. Now, for areas that are already uh, existing and that have become, you know, poor as a result of the decay and so on. What you need is urban renewal. And I know Professor Nubi has talked to you extensively about that. That is his area. Nevertheless, if we need to discuss that, you can let me know later. Okay, so these are things that government should do. I've mentioned that. Now, the second one, I said there are two major things. The second one is on the area of land pooling or land readjustment. Land pooling, P-O-O-L-I-N-G, simply means government would issue incentives that would give landowners, landholders in poorly developed areas, slum areas, uh, degenerating areas, to surrender their land holdings to an agency. The agency could be a new one set up by government, it could be an existing one. And then that agency will replan, will re we order the land uses in that area okay after taking note of what each person surrendered they will now carry out a survey and then they will replan the area they will reapportion the parcels they will carve out an area for government to use for two major things number one is provision of amenities okay the second thing is uh, commercialization so that government can recover the cost being infused into that development okay that way uh, government doesn't have to pay compensation because these same people who are surrendering their land will now get the, their land back although smaller than before but it will be more valuable because uh, government would have now introduced roads drains electricity, water, they would have introduced uh, infrastructure, you know, telecommunications, everything needed to make, to modernize and to make those areas better planned than before. So land readjustment has been tried and made, uh, made use of in other countries and it has been very, very successful. Places like Indonesia, in some parts of Latin America, also in some parts of Africa they have been found to be very successful. The benefit to the people that surrender their lands without compensation is that what they get back, even though it will be in a proportion uh, similar to what they surrendered, may be smaller. Do you understand? Nevertheless, because there have been, I mean, government has expended uh, money on infrastructural improvements, amenities, replanning, and so on and so forth, the land coming back to them will be far more valuable than what they gave up in 
the first instance. So these are ways in which governments can intervene and which will ensure that the urban areas are better than they have been in the past. So we still have like 30 minutes and I'm very happy about that because I had other things I wanted us to look at. I want us to look at the effects of the Land Use Act in Nigeria, in Nigerian urban area, as a means of improving, seeing improving now, or of intervening in uh, land matters, particularly the area of accessibility, and secondly, in the area of land rights. Within the little time we have left, let me quickly address this. Okay. Now, the Land Use Act was introduced in 1978 as the Land Use Decree number 6 of 1978. At the time of introduction, the Land Use Act was meant to facilitate public control of land rights, land uses, land resources generally. And uh, the land was vested in the state governors to be held in trust for the benefits of all Nigerians. So land in Lagos State was vested in the state governor and the state governor was empowered to give, to take far-reaching decisions. For instance, under the Land Use Act, the state governor could declare an area urban, or declare an area rural. And the differentiation between rural and urban area was uh, you know, uh, had implications for who would administer the land, who would issue the rights of occupancy, and what kind of restrictions would happen. Okay. The state governor also had the right to, uh, you know, uh, facilitate allocation of land for various uses. Residential, industrial, so on and so forth. So the, the, the land use has gained extensive powers to state governors with regards to land. Uh, while it worked well in some states where the governors understood how to use such powers for the benefits of their uh, state, in some other states it encouraged corrupt practices. In some states it, it sort of created a lot of difficulties. We are familiar with these things, so I don't need to go over that. What I want us to emphasize this morning is the effect of the Land Use Act on real estate investment as far as urban land acquisition, urban land accessibility is concerned. Okay? Now, we, we, we must look at uh, these things from a certain framework. Does the Land Use Act make land more available? to private investors, to public in, uh, users of land? That's a very important question. Number two, does it make land more affordable? Is land more affordable? Can we easily get land? And how much does it cost to do so now? Then, it, does the Land Use Act make land more secured? Are land rights better secured now than before? Does the Land Use Act make, you know, land market transactions more fungible than before these are questions we should be asking okay 
Now, because of the time that is not very much at our disposal, let's quickly look at the problems of land accessibility under the Land Use Act. First is that you now have to undergo a bureaucratic procedure for accessing land. If you are going to go by the uh, Land Use Act strictly, you have to apply for allocation. There are forms to fill. There are documents to attach. Uh, your tax must have been paid up to date. The state governors, uh, government can, you know, uh, impose other things that they feel you must satisfy in order for you to qualify for an allocation. Technically, the Land Use Act applies to all Nigeria. It's supposed to make land accessible to all Nigerians. Nevertheless, what we find is that the Land Use Act uh, sometimes is uh, used in some states to favor only the indigenous of that state, uh, while non-state indigenous are discriminated against. Anyway, to quickly run through it all, number one is that land allocation or land access now has to follow a bureaucratic system. And where you are not following the bureaucratic system and wish to go, go through the land market are introduced through the land administration system which make the process more expensive and more prone to corrupt practices than before. So uh, these things are not strange to us. There is usually a, a huge backlog of applications you know, that you know, are being treated slowly. Some say governors even refuse to treat applications for allocations, and in some instances, signing of consent for transactions takes months, in some, year, in some cases, years. So access to land suffers more delay than before and becomes more expensive and more bureaucratic. Okay? We have to also understand that uh, the fact that government has control over land means that the land market is further restricted in its freedom to transact on land matters that created some degree of scarcity and also uh, you know accentuates the costs of getting land in the uh, I mean through the property market you know, land values went up uh, getting land you have to go through so many procedures so even if, uh, apart from the cost of buying the land, the price of the land, there's a cost of transaction, which makes the you know uh, actual um, acquisition of the land, taking it over eventually, to become more expensive than before. Then another thing that happens is that it it, it, it makes um, you know issues to arise when it comes to. Um, transition between customary rights and statutory rights of people. Some people who are very conversant with both systems have been exploiting them both in a way that makes the acquisition of land more problematic for the common man on the street. So you may find that uh, 
you know, uh, everybody is thinking more of what they can get from you, and as a result, you have to keep paying much, much more than would have been the case. And uh, so, it, it, the, the issue of access to land, in a nutshell, has become much more problematic than ever before. Then you find that. Uh, a lot of surveyors perceive the Land Use Act as having had very negative effects on land acquisition and land investment generally. And they blame the government for this. They blame the government for the proliferation of slums and so on. Because when people cannot get land legally through the right channels, they go and get land by whatever means they can. And then they embark on sub uh, standard development in substandard areas, they use marginal land, and so everything is looking so upside So the general conclusion with regards to whether the land use act has made land more available or not, is that it should have made it more available if government had applied its powers appropriately, but unfortunately uh, it doesn't make land available to the common man as easily as should have been the case. Does it make land more available for government? Well, if we go by the intention of the Land Use Act and the, the, the sections that empower government to revoke rights of occupancy, it will appear to be yes. Nevertheless, we find that uh, governments too face a lot of difficulty accessing land for public uses. And this too has to be properly understood. Okay, Then we have to also grasp the aspect of uh, the bureaucratic delays in perfecting titles. This is the part that really concerns us. The process of improve, of getting your CLO is long, is arduous, requires a lot of uh, uh, costs to be incurred. And then after you have done all that, there's the issue of uh, paying so many charges all the time. Some states regard land as their gold, as their oil. Like Lagos State now says land to the Lagos State economy is what oil is to the Nigerian economy. And so in a in a in a you know in the other former regimes apart from the current one, uh, we had instances where land charges, ground rents, uh, development levies were so excessive that it discouraged people from following the statutory channel to get land or to transfer their parcels of land. So government could not have proper record of land transactions and so could not have full control of what was going on in the land market. Also, the aspect of uh, uh, imposing land use charge, you know, which is meant to have been helped by the way the Land Use Act is, uh, you find that uh, initially the land use charge was so huge, it was becoming a disincentive, particularly to manufacturers and commercial landowners. Uh, but at the end of it all, what do we find? We find that uh, government has understood, the, the successive governments have seen through the difficulties and have you know, gradually been reducing these charges as a way of encouraging the uh, proper use of land, proper development of land, proper exploitation of land resources for the benefits of all concerned. 
So I want us to understand very well that the Land Use Act is, is a law that is meant to improve things as far as access, costs, and so on is concerned. Unfortunately, uh, the, its implementation has not always facilitated the best benefits to be realized. Okay, and clamors for its um, a revocation, for its, uh, uh, for its amendments or for its uh, setting aside, have not always yielded the right rules because of the political atmosphere. Some parts of the country want it to remain, other parts want it to be amended or removed. And every time it goes forward, because it is embedded in the constitution, getting a, a change makes it extremely difficult. But if you come with questions about areas you need clarification on, well, I will spend time to look into those areas very well. Is that clear? So my data will end in a few minutes. Please do your best to uh, look at the materials we have looked at today and uh, read them. And if you have questions, feel free to send me a WhatsApp messages. If people are not bringing their questions together as one under one platform, send to me uh, to my uh, my WhatsApp. The number is the same as my telephone number that we all have. I'll promise that next time I'll make sure my data is enough to take us beyond the period allocated. So thank you for coming to class. If you have questions, please feel free to send them. You will be logged in a few minutes. No problem. Thank you, Mom. Thank you, Mr. Martin. Please uh, give me feedback on the 811. Okay, ma'am. I will okay. do that. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you very much for coming to class. Yeah. Please let me get feedback. Let me get your questions. If there are areas 